Welcome to the Bully to Blossoming podcast, hosted by Marlena Gordon and Jesse Wallace, two girls who endured and then blossomed from their own bullying experiences. We aim to spread hope and healing through the sharing of revival stories. Here in this safe space, we have real conversations with those who have not only journeyed through traumas of their own, but have triumphed against the odds. These stories prove that no matter one's struggle, things not only get better, but they blossom. Hey guys, so I'm hopping on to introduce our fifth podcast guest. This one's a really big one. We had the distinct pleasure of interviewing the wonderful, sweet, resilient Samantha March, the YouTube makeup extraordinaire, blogger, published author. She's such a badass dude. Like she's, we talk about all the incredible struggles that she's overcome throughout her life. And um, in addition to that, what it's like putting her life out there on YouTube and kind of opening it up to public scrutiny, what it's like doing that in front of thousands of people, some of whom are pretty mean and bully-like and hater trolls, you know. So uh, give it a listen and let us know what you think. You do so much. Like you're an author. You've written, is it seven books? Yes. Yep. Wowza. And then you also do the vlogging on YouTube and like you just have so many hats. And I think that's yeah. like so awesome um, because you're just like a boss and it's really cool. Um, <laughs> so how did you like kind of get into the blogging thing? Like what made you attracted to the beauty industry? Um, when I first started blogging in, it was 2009, um, kind of my main reason that I wanted to get into blogging was I just felt like I didn't have a lot of people in my real life that was really interested in the same things as me Mm -hmm. or like as passionate about me about those things. Like I had some friends who would like read every now and then, or like they would have fun, you know, going to like Alta and Sephora with me, but I felt like I was so much more passionate about certain topics. Mm -hmm. Uh, So that was why I really turned to the internet and when I first started blogging, kind of my idea was to be a book blog, but I, I also knew that I always wanted to do more than one thing. Like I never, I've never wanted one thing to define me. Mm-hmm. And oh, so that. when I started, like I had um, book reviews on there and book interviews, but I also did like makeup reviews also. And I just blogged about like a random things, like whatever it was I was doing, training for a 5k. Like I blogged about doing Jillian Michaels 30 day shred (laughs) and like reviewed the DVD and like shared before and after photos and, you know, different things like that. Um, but really my main, the main reason I wanted to get into blogging was to be able to find more like-minded people like me so Mm -hmm. I could have more conversations because it was interesting. This was when I was in college that I started my blog and I had a huge group of friends. And I mean, we were always going out and doing something and I had friends as roommates, but I felt very lonely because I felt yeah. like I didn't have a lot of people to talk to. Wow. So that, that was kind of the main, that's how I got started in it. And then, you know, just over the years, um, you know, just kind of getting older and seeing where your interest really lies. Like I've, I've never gone away from books. I still, I mean, I read one book about every two days 
or so. What? And I, yeah, I'm oh a very fast reader. <laughs> How do you I love reading? To do that? I like, I, feel like I can't, I'm a stay at home mom and I feel like I could not. That's amazing though. Like I wish. Like, Master juggler. Yeah. Oh my God. <laughs> yeah. And and I just, I love reading. Um, You know, I read when I eat, like if I'm by myself, Aww. like I, I read when I eat, I like, I'll pull up YouTube videos and watch them, but I'll be reading at the same time. Like oh my I'm oh my always God. multitasking. Like I have to be doing several things at once otherwise I'm like fidgety and like anxious I I love that you I love that you went out and pursued like even though like yeah like everything was great like you had your husband you had um your big group of friends like you had like enough self-awareness to realize that something was kind of missing and you went Mm -hmm. out and like pioneered like this whole venture for yourself and carved out like what was going to make you happy. And yeah. it's really amazing that you've now created a life where you get to work on your passion every day yeah. and work towards your, it's really amazing. Like yeah. that's what so many people aspire to do and just don't have the wherewithal. They, they don't know where to start. And mm-hmm. you actually, you like, did it. yeah, you had the hard task of getting out there and figuring it out and starting, but then look at how it's paid off. Now this yeah. is your, now this is your career, which yeah. is amazing. Yeah. It's, and- it's so funny when I hear people say things like, oh, you're so lucky or, you know, things like that. And I'm like, I have no idea who's lucky. <laughs> I have worked for you. I know. I know. You know some I people know, will yeah. see I've only had a YouTube channel for, you know, like three years or whatever it's been now. And um, he goes, oh, you're so lucky you have this many subscribers or views or whatever it might be. And I'm like, I've actually been hustling, not even just right. for the 10 years that I've been blogging, but even before that and working multiple jobs. I mean, I worked for no. free for eight years. Wow. <laughs> like, right. Like that yeah. everyone's going to do that. <laughs> I just was listening to a podcast recently and like they were saying like, honey, like that like overnight success, like that you, like you think that person's an overnight success little, do you know that took 10 years, yeah. like mm-hmm. of them sitting in their garage, like yep. with no electricity, like you don't know yep. the backstory. And I yeah. feel like that's very much like, it sounds very similar because as much as it's wonderful that you like are a hustler and you went out and you had all, you made all these opportunities for yourself, like it's exhausting to juggle mm-hmm. that many things and yeah. to do it for so long with no reward also, like working yes. for free. Yep. So it's amazing that you kept the dedication there though, like throughout all of that, because I think that's where a lot of people lose their yeah. momentum mm-hmm. is, but you kept like the determination up and hustled, hustled, hustled and got like got your dream like and again not that it's not hard work like it is Mm -hmm. but it's also at least it's like it's gratifying like yeah yep I hope yeah yep that's what I'd say too yeah that's a good word do you like did you always know that you wanted to do something creatively like I feel like you know even with the makeup and the books like they are kind of different but they're all kind of like in the realm the same Mm kind of like creative like yep you know mosh posh yeah yep and it's so funny because sometimes I'll say because I'm not um what I've learned to say now is that I'm not very like artistically creative or I'll Mm -hmm. say that I don't have a visual mind when it comes to art because especially like in my YouTube channels like I'm not a makeup artist I've not studied I you know I follow tutorials to a T a bunch of times and so I would always say I'm just not creative I'm just not creative and I get so many comments of like yes you are you create yeah, characters you've totally. written novels like how are you not creative and I'm like oh yeah it's just a different type of 
creativity. Like, I, I mean, I can't even draw a stick person. Like I failed seventh oh. grade art. I can't, oh. I, don't, I don't have those types of vibes, but I guess like I am a um, creative person in that also, aspect. It's just, it's just the urge that you have to like, it's just the, like how you're magnetized towards makeup. Like I think that in and of itself is art, like indicates mm-hmm. artistic, yeah, like an artistic sure. vibe because yep. like people who, because makeup is an art. And I know mm-hmm. that you say that you like followed tutorials, just not, but I don't think you would have been as interested in the tutorials mm-hmm. and as interested in sitting down and like really coming up with new makeup looks and making it something fun yep. if you weren't creative. Like, so yeah. I think it's, it's just masked kind of differently, like with yep. the makeup, but yeah. it's still there. Yep. And I, and what's interesting, what I've learned about makeup, cause I've, I've always been really interested in makeup and beauty and I would go to, you know, Alta Sephora, I would go to the drugstores and I would just wander through the makeup aisle, aisles oh. and buy, you know, like what looked interesting to me, like, especially like on my budget, you know, I was, I was always very drugstore for a very long time, but <laughs> I'd buy the brands that I saw my mom use, or I would use my mom's makeup mm-hmm. or my grandma's makeup, but I would get frustrated when I got older and I would buy things for myself. Cause then I'd get home and I'd be like, what? am I supposed to do? do? Yes. And you know, back in my day, we were looking at magazines (laughs) Yeah, you know, they would say like, okay, one shadow goes here and this second shadow goes here. But I'm like, what do you mean? Or like how, (laughs) or with my fingers or like a spoon? Like, I don't know what I'm supposed to be doing. (laughs) And And I'm so confused. (laughs) Yeah. Cause like, it was so hard with those like allure or like glamour, Mm -hmm. like, cause I, like, I think we're similar ages. I'm 30. So. Okay. I'm 32. Okay, yeah. So, yep. like, I was all about that, too. And it's, mm-hmm. like, when you see just, like, a picture representation of it and you don't have the video to coincide, like, the blending is, like, an art form in and of itself. Like, it's so hard not to make it look just, like, one color here, one color here, one color here, like, choppy, like, all over yep. the eye. And then when I got into YouTube a few – a couple of years ago and I was, like, oh, my God, this is life-altering. Like, actually yes. – Having the visual, like, mm-hmm. even just watching someone do the windshield wiper motion. Yeah. <laughs> like, oh, yeah, for sure. Yep. Like, that was, that was life-changing for me. Yes. Yep. Yes. And Who even to, like, the people- hold the brushes at the end, you know, of the brush yes. to, like, make the shadow lighter, I was like, ah, don't hold uh-huh. it like a pencil and stab your eye. Oh, so I don't use this, like, 70-cent little, like, pig <laughs> that they put in, like, yes. your, like as yes. an applicator. Yes. Like, like that. Those little <laughs> Yeah. Yes. No. Oh. Oh so God, who so did funny. who did you used to watch that kind of like I, I guess inspired you or got you thinking like hey maybe this is something that I'd love to do too yeah is there anyone in particular yeah it was definitely Carly Bible oh uh, yeah and yeah how I even found YouTube it was um, just a few months before I got married and I was um, I had hired a, a makeup gal to do my makeup for my wedding since I knew I wouldn't be able to do it and um <laughs> as she was talking to me like doing my makeup trials you know I was saying to her like oh, I wish I could learn how to do that or I was like you know how do you do that how are you doing the eyeshadow that way and things <laughs> and she goes I just watched YouTube tutorials and I said what and everyone's she said, a makeup artist now yeah, like with YouTube yeah. thank god oh yeah and she was like <laughs> she, and she recommended Carly to me she said I watched this girl and I believe she even said like this girl from Jersey <laughs> her and her oh. name is Carly and she's so beautiful but she does all these tutorials and I was like well I'm gonna go look and like I had known YouTube was a thing because I actually had started a YouTube channel 
even before that time. Cause I'd started YouTube right around the time we got engaged. And my idea was to like, almost like vlog our wedding process. Cause my family is army. So they were away from me. And so I thought, wouldn't it be fun if I, you know, I don't even think I called it vlogged back in the day, but you know, I was mm-hmm. like, wouldn't it be fun if I did these videos and my family could be watching them since we're That's away so from cute. each other. Yeah. That's and then so nice. I, I think I did three videos, just like chatting videos in a, in like a dark room, like off my webcam type thing. And then I was like, this is a bad <laughs> idea. And I just deleted the whole thing. I was like, I don't even know what I'm doing. I, I like, I just didn't know the ins and outs of YouTube yet. So then, you know, it was like nine months later, I get told this and I'm like, what? And so um, that's when I went and looked up Carly and I would just every single day I'd find another one of her videos and I would, I would just watch and learn. And I bought so many of her recommendations, but oh, that's kind of how I fell into the YouTube beauty videos. So um, yeah. And then, you know, the- you know, I'd watch her and I think I can, I could do this too. Like after I learned, you know, and I was like, I could do this too. Um, so yeah, I just kind of went from there. So was-, was there ever, Oh, sorry, no. Jess. <laughs> <laughs> no, I was just going to say, was there ever a point, especially at the beginning or maybe like maybe more now, I'm not sure like that. I don't know when, when I think about like, I'm super social and I love to do makeup, but like when I think about the idea of putting myself out on YouTube, I'm like, oh my God, like the haters, the people who mm-hmm. like the trolls, like every beauty person I've ever watched talks about how mean the internet can be. Like, mm-hmm. have you encountered any of that or any fear or self-consciousness around that? Or ha- has it been something that you've coped through and like, it doesn't really scare you anymore? Where do you find yourself then versus now, I guess. Yeah, I think that it is hard because I would say like my first couple of years when I was blogging um, and I really just had a blog, Facebook and Twitter. Um, that was really the only places that I was at. It was still pretty chill back mm-hmm. in the day. I mean, I that there were still probably haters and trolls out there, but the, it wasn't quite as extreme as it was now. Right. Um and, you know, every once in a while, a comment would come through and it would usually be someone like just really disagreeing passionately with me on like a book review. If I give a bad book review, you know, I'd be called like a name and like, this is the best book ever. And it's like, okay, like, let's just move okay. on. <laughs> you know, like, it was just kind of weird. And then of course, like being an author, um, you know, I get book reviews written about my books too. And, you know, there's definitely bad book reviews that are going to be in there and people that, you know, take things way too far. And I write very controversial subjects. So I know that that's not going to be for everybody. You know, I talk about abuse and drugs and teenage pregnancies and, you know, Uh, I just, I mean, I, the thing that I think most people would resonate with actually. Yeah. Yeah. Like, like I talk about very real life things. And uh, I kind of got to the point where I was like, you know what, if people get really fired up in their book reviews, that actually means more to me than a glowing five-star review that says like, this book is nice because I made someone feel, I made someone get passionate about something. I made someone get fired up. Like that means more to me. I'd rather have a one-star review that's five paragraphs long. That's probably selling my book to somebody else (laughs) (laughs) than a one sentence review. That's a five-star review. Like that's kind of how I've had to learn my mindset because, you know, yes, I'm talking about subjects that not everyone's going to agree with, but it's going to, 
it's going to make you feel something. Yeah, and that's going to ignite. That's something. what I would prefer. Yeah. It's such a mature way of reframing it. Like, that's <laughs> an inspiration <laughs> to me. Oh my God. <laughs> I remember I was like watching your video one day and you were laughing about someone you know, trolling the comments that were, and they said something like, oh, you, you know, how do you get, stuff spent, sent to you like you don't know how to do makeup and you're like I don't know either girl like, <laughs> yeah, I don't know. I just, like just laugh it off humor yeah, is so powerful I just like, yeah. love that I was like I love her attitude because and I'm sure you know if like reading hate comments or the criticism the negative criticism like I'm, I'm sure it like still sucks but like I just mm-hmm. really love how you handle it like it's especially because you didn't or anything like that and you don't yeah. give them like what, what they want. Like what mm-hmm. they really want is to get a they rise out of you, is yep. to take yeah. you yep. down. Yep. Right. And so by you laughing, like you're like that's probably more infuriating to them than oh, yeah. anything else. Like mm-hmm. so and it's a win. So you win without getting nasty, like which yeah. is great. Yeah. And and I remember like they always used to say, like, if you want a bully to stop bullying you, like ignore them yeah like you mm-hmm. ignore them or like you yep. laugh it off and then they'll get bored yeah. like because mm-hmm. they what they want is a rise they want the drama yeah yeah yep. totally because oftentimes people who are the bullies people who are sitting behind the computer screens like who have like the ability to type that vitriol like through the screen like at this wonderful person who's just so kind and so nice like <laughs> it they have to be pretty sad yeah like they're probably not in the best headspace themselves so Mm -hmm. they I think they just want to bring someone down to that level with them so it's not quite so lonely I guess you could say now have you on that like has it changed since you've been doing it over the past three years you've been doing YouTube like has that like do you feel like your skin has gotten tougher to it I I think it has um because I think like opening yourself up to YouTube and then um, that just brings like a whole new level. And then of course, with all the different platforms with Instagram, with Snapchat, yeah. um, just uh, putting yourself like continually putting yourself out on so many different platforms and um, so many different levels, like it, it can really open up even more hate comments and such. And I feel like I kind of go through a wave where there's days where I am, 100% unfazed by yeah. mean comments. I just delete or I block and I move on and I don't care and I can laugh. And then there's days where I I want to cry over them and I'm like, I'm wow. doing my best. I don't understand like what's going on. And I feel like it's just, I, I feel like a lot of it is, you know, whatever's going on in my personal life. If, like, if, I, if I'm having a bad day, if my dog is sick, you know, if I don't feel good or I had a, you know, a fight with a friend or something, And then I get on the internet and I read comments about how terrible I am and ugly and I can't do this and I'm not smart. It's, it makes you feel like everyone's attacking you from every corner. Mm -hmm. And so that's like one of my biggest things is, you know, like if you're going to leave a negative comment or whatever, like you might want to stop and think about it because you have no idea what that person's going through that day. And that could be your comment that puts them over the edge, you know? Yeah. Absolutely. I can't believe, like, I can't even put myself in someone's shoes who would go on to someone's YouTube channel and call them ugly. Like, mm-hmm. what? Also, not yeah. to mention you're beautiful, so yeah, that person. <laughs> <laughs> but, I mean, I just, I can't even 
fathom what it would take to do that to somebody. Mm -hmm. And so like, that's why you have like on days like that, I hope you just, it's, it's impossible. Like I could never be totally unfazed by that stuff, but I hope more than not, like you're able to look at that and be like, this is all bullshit. Like this isn't even, this is not even real. They're not even talking to me. They're talking to themselves. Like this is not, it's really a projection of like their own inner world, like on to you. And, but that's, I mean, I find it amazing that you are as out there and like, you know, putting yourself out there and like unapologetic about Mm -hmm. it, Mm -hmm. despite the fact that there are days you get comments like that. I think that is such a testament to how incredibly strong you are. Yeah, because I was going to say, like, you're so open and raw, like, in some of your Mm -hmm. videos about, like, some of the things you've been through and your relationships, like, with your friends and Mm -hmm. how when you started becoming more open, did you, were you nervous to do that? Were you like, Oh, like people are going to see all of me or how did, how was that process? Like, and and what was the response? It was, it was very scary because like here and there I would, I'm going to say like drop hints, but like, you know, just kind of like, you know, briefly touch on like things that have happened or whatnot, but I've never like, especially with YouTube, which is like, um, like, cause I, I can remember one night on Snapchat telling a story about uh, abuse and getting kicked out of my house and, you know, all these different things. And I was kind of scared to open up that way, but it was such a small, you know, Snapchat was still newer. It was such a mm-hmm. small little community that I had over there. It was going to disappear in 24 hours. Like it didn't right. make me feel quite as nervous, but I do remember sitting down to film my first YouTube video that I was really like that was the point of the YouTube video was to really open up. And I was extremely nervous to do it. And I couldn't look at my comment section for about the first four hours of after posting. And usually I try to get in my comment section right away and, mm-hmm. and all of that, but I couldn't look because I just thought, Oh my gosh, I don't even want to know what people are saying about me. I'm so afraid. And when I went in on that first video, um, over like two days or something like that, that video had like 2000 comments, which I think is the most Mm. amount of comments I've ever gotten in a video. And there was not one that was negative still to this day. It was all not one. That's when I was And it's, it's so sad for me to say, but I was shocked. (laughs) No, I mean, you encounter a lot of shitty people. Yeah. Yeah. It just sucks when um, you expect the worst out of people and you see the best and you're like, why Like, why didn't I think that could happen? Because we often, like, when we've been through our own traumatic things, we tend to bully ourselves about it in our minds. So you can only assume, like, Mm -hmm. oh, they're going to, like, mirror that. Like, Mm -hmm. I, you know, they're going to judge me for this because, like, deep down you're probably – we all, whenever we've encountered anything tragic or negative like that, we tend to subconsciously judge ourselves. So – and think that we should have handled it better and, like – you know, think that we're somehow tainted because of this thing that was inflicted upon us or whatever it might be. And I think I know the video you're talking about. I think. I do remember there was a Q&A that I, I think I talked a little bit more in depth about. I was um, sexually abused as a child by my stepbrother. Yes. And okay. Yes. That's yeah. the one that I just saw. Yeah. So, yep. You see, it's so funny because like you were so scared to post something like that. Meanwhile, like when I watch that, like I can speak for myself and I can, I'm, I know others feel this way. Like 
when I watch that, it makes me feel instantly like magnetized and connected to you because Mm -hmm. like, and it speaks to me. It speaks to the things that I've been through, like whether that, whether it be sexual trauma or like Mm -hmm. other kinds of trauma, just anything that I've had to overcome, like an adverse situation, I immediately feel bonded and not alone. And so you putting that out there does so much good for people. There's, Mm -hmm. I, I can't fathom that anyone could have anything negative to say about that. Like Mm -hmm. it's, it's a beautiful thing that you're such a kind, confident person, like despite the things that you've been through, I think that you are probably a pillar of strength for some people because they see, oh, like it doesn't just end at this like horrible situation I went through. Like life goes on and I can be just as vivacious and confident too, Mm -hmm. like despite So I think it's something that actually, like, I hope now, I'm sure now you know, like, but you should be so proud of yourself for putting it out there. And I think it's special, too, because I think especially, like, when you have the platform that you do, people that watch your videos, they feel like they're friends with you. And they feel like Mm -hmm. they're, you know, hanging out with you while they're getting ready to go to school or work or college or whatever. And Mm -hmm. when you open yourself up and really allow people to see like the raw Samantha it's so empowering for girls too because you know you're 30 so it's like these girls you know that are on YouTube the 15 year olds the 28 year olds like me I'm just like oh shit like this is really empowering because you don't really see that a lot and I feel like I think I got into YouTube like maybe mm, two years ago um Mm -hmm. And because I'm a stay-at-home mom and, you know, I've always dabbled in makeup, but I was telling Marlena yesterday, it's like my relationship with makeup has always been really weird. Like I had really bad acne as a kid. So I would like, you know, Mm. smear on all the concealer and think it was foundation (laughs) and I would look like a glazed donut, you know, (laughs) know, as you get older, you use it and I was an art major. So I've always like been artsy, but like, I like don't, I've never known what to do with my face. So it's like, Mm. I feel like it's a safe place that people can Mm -hmm. go to be like, oh, well, I don't want to ask someone. So I'm just going to get on YouTube and, you know, they find whoever they resonate with. And so I think it's so special that you can be so open, but not so Mm -hmm. negative. Because I I feel like a lot of YouTubers that are honest are usually negative, like towards other people. And you know what I mean? Right. It can be a very catty, like, um, community sometimes it seems. Whereas, like, instead, Mm -hmm. you're kind of putting these things out there where it allows – it creates a space where people are able to find common ground with like someone they idolize, which is a Mm -hmm. huge, like that does wonders for someone's self-esteem and someone's um, capacity to think like, Oh, I can do this too. Like Mm -hmm. this person who I think is like the bomb, (laughs) like Mm -hmm. like, goes through this shitty stuff too. It's not just me. Like there's nothing wrong with just me, you know? Do you you think that like, doing YouTube helped you like deal with past trauma and in a creative way? I, I really do think so. And I, I think I kind of realized that being vocal about situations that I've gone through does really help me because the first book that I ever wrote is called destined to fail. And during like during that time in my life, if someone were to ask me, like, you know, like the question of um, if, if someone were to make a movie about you, like, what would it be called? Like, if someone were to ask me that, I would always think destined to fail because it was wow. just, I have gotten knocked down 
so many times from, you know, a child up until, you know, my teen years. And I just thought every time I, I thought, you know, I pick myself back up and we would start again, it's something else would knock me down. And, you know, it kind of got to the point where I was like, what is, what is the point? <laughs> like, right. why do I keep doing right. this? Like, I'm just, it's just on repeat that, you know, something bad is going to happen. Something bad is going to happen. Um, and so when I wrote that book, uh, it kind of is in two parts. Um, there's the, the main character who we have before she goes to college. And then uh, once she goes to college and her before college time is really my story. Um, oh, wow. A lot of my story is is in there. And then once she goes to college, I actually kind of split my story into a bunch of different characters. And one oh, character deals with this, one character de- deals with that while she's still dealing with this because my editor, um, that book got three very heavy rewrites before it was published. Mm-hmm. And um, because at first I kind of had, I kind of continued my life and my editor was like, people aren't going to think that this is realistic, that all these bad things happen to one person. Oh, oh my God. Like, you're living proof. Okay. Well, yeah. Really. yeah. I was like, Whoa. all right. So I... Uh- switched up the book and you know I did I added in some fiction parts too but I kind of took little parts of my story and gave them into separate characters and even still there's still reviews out there that says like this isn't realistic like not this many bad things can happen and it's like okay well that's amazing (laughs) but I, I noticed through writing that book that that was very therapeutic and even my second book the green ticket um it's not quite as deep as the first one but it's based on a true story of a situation like a very odd job situation that I went through and I was like I should write a book about that and I feel like writing about my situations helped me it almost helps me figure it out it helps me try to put myself in other people's shoes as well I try to be a very I don't know if I'm gonna say like empathetic person, but I try very hard. Like even if I'm like having, you know, a fight with a friend or a family member, I really take time and I'll, I will write down how I think they feel. Like I will really Aww. try to put myself in their shoes to think, okay, what is it that they could be thinking? What is it that they could be doing? And I think a lot of that comes from my writing career because yeah. I can't always just write with my point of view. I can't always just write me. I have to give myself to these characters and let them write their stories. Um, so I, I get a lot of therapy from that, I think. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's such a good tip because it's almost like you kind of like give yourself like this out of body experience where you can kind kind of like look down upon the situation and like survey it from up there and think, okay, like there's Samantha, there's the friend, this is what's going on in Samantha's mind. This is what's going on in hers. And it gives you that safe space with mm-hmm. just you, the pen and the paper, and you can just like really suss it out because it's not clear when you're in the heat of the moment oftentimes. Like sometimes you really need to like, it sounds silly, but especially if you're artistic, like draw that Venn diagram, just blur mm-hmm. shit out and like mm-hmm. on the page. And mm-hmm. I, so I think that it's, it's actually incredibly healing that you are an author and that you do use your own life as inspiration, like for a lot of your books, your characters, because then you kind of learn at every time you go down to like write a book or read the book, you learn something new or you lo- mm-hmm. like you deepen your understanding of that particular trauma. Like I feel as though it must deepen your own self love also because mm-hmm. you see you can see it from know. a different perspective too. Like I totally. feel like yeah. once everything is like written on paper, I know like we've talked a lot about a lot of like crazy things on this podcast, not crazy, but like, you know, 
eating disorders and Mm -hmm. sexual trauma and stuff like that. And one of the things that I've said in the past is like saying it out loud, like in a room, whether, you know, in front of a therapist or like locked in a closet by yourself, making Mm -hmm. it real is like so powerful, whether it's on paper Mm -hmm. or verbally, it like changes it, you know, and it's like, it's not just in your head anymore. And I think that gives it, it allows you to see things from a different perspective too. And so I think that's so interesting. And I think that's awesome that you have used that as a heal, as a means to heal too, Mm -hmm. instead of like bottling it up, you're able to be constructive with it and productive with, you know, your life story. And I think that's super inspiring to, you know, kids or anyone really me. Mm -hmm. Um, that have do you been, feel been through oh, something? No, no, you're good. Do you feel as though, um, as much as like you've you had those moments and like kind of like the buzz like phrase like for a while was destined to fail, destined mm-hmm. to fail. Do you feel as though, as you kept evolving and kept growing, that you did eventually reach a point where you were like, oh, I'm like doing good. so much stronger because of this. Like I'm. I am who I am in so many positive ways because mm-hmm. of these like constant like quote unquote failures that kind of were like dominoes like for a time, but they really like toughened and softened me simultaneously. It seems to me like you're a very like tough, like thick skinned person while still being like a very sweet, like soft mm-hmm. person simultaneously, yeah. probably because you've been through a lot like yeah. and you put kindness first, I would imagine. Mm-hmm. Like it seems – so, like, do you do you find that that was the case? That like those like do you find gratitude like for those tough times, or is it not? Are they too like raw or too bad? Like, I don't really I don't know the situations that you've been through. And mm-hmm. please speak on it if you're comfortable. Yeah, and I I do because you know I had a time in life you know probably when I was in like my teens and early twenties that for a while I. I just, I kept feeling knocked down and I can remember a time in particular when uh, it was my 23rd birthday and my mom was visiting me in Iowa and we were eating dinner. I lived in an apartment at the time. It was me and her and we were eating dinner and she said, I have something to tell you. (laughs) I said, okay. And she told me then that um, I went 23 years of my life thinking me and my sister had the same biological father. Um, but this man never really wanted anything to do with me. Um, (gasps) even from when I was young, like my sister, my, my, my mom and this guy who I thought was my dad, um, they divorced when I was six months old and, um, like for Christmases, my sister would go to his house and he would send her birthday gifts, but never me. And I was always very confused. I just, you know, for a while, you know, of course, as a little kid, I'm like, well, he didn't want me. That's why my parents got divorced. Like, I don't like I just never knew I was always so confused um, as to what happened. And so she told me on my 23rd birthday that after my sister, who were eight years apart, that he was not able to have children anymore. So I was from a sperm donor. And um this oh man didn't want another baby and he didn't want my mom to, you know, essentially be pregnant by another man. And, you know, it caused a lot of issues, but my mom was like, I wanted another baby. I, I knew I did. And, you know, she basically went through and did it by herself and they, you know, ended up getting divorced, but that was why he'd never really 
had anything to do with me. And, uh, you know, kind of all, it kind of made sense. Like after I calmed myself down, I was like, well, I guess, you know, it's better than thinking my father just didn't want me in a way, but but it's also just like, so traumatizing to grow up that way thinking mm-hmm. like that Your you are you. the black sheep yeah. that you're on like in some way on some level unwanted and not mm-hmm. as cherished as your older sister like that's a terrible thing to ingrain in yeah a grow like in anyone's mind let alone like during those really formative like yes. transformative years even like, if yes. it like, was something you accepted it's still like that I feel like is just like always was it like always kind of in the back of your head yeah yeah and I um like I would write you know I've, I've always wanted to be a writer so there's like so many different like little short stories or just like little books that I would write when I was younger and the dad's always dead oh <laughs> always. <my God. laughs> The dad is always dead because I'm like, I have no idea how to write a father character. Like, I have no clue. So I always just kill off the dad. Like, no, no beating around the bush with that yeah. one. <laughs> yeah. Like, oh, always dead. And I'm like, okay. But I can, I like this, this moment is just, it, it's so defining for me and how I have felt because um, I was 23. I started dating my now husband when I, I was 19 and he was 18. And, you know, it's kind of hard dating someone and getting serious with someone and being like, Oh, Hey, just so you know, like I was abused. I was kicked out of my home. Um, I was physically abused. Like I've been uh, so incredibly poor. I used to steal food, like, um, you know, just like going through the list of things of like everything that's wrong with me. And then I can remember mom telling me this. And at first I was just so angry and I remember getting up from dinner and I grabbed my phone and I walked outside of the apartment and I called my husband and he answers. And uh, I'm not someone who swears a ton on social media, but this was my true reaction. He answered the <laughs> phone and I go, do you want to know how much more fucked up my life is? Oh my and God. he was like, what? what? Jesus What's going Christ. on now? Yeah. And I'm just like wondering like what he's thinking I could possibly even say. Yeah. Like, you, you know, calling you at barrel. seven o'clock at night. Like what in the world could you tell me now? And on and your I, birthday. Yes. Like, and on his like, birthday. I'm like, Christ. I just felt, and that, I think that was one of the, I I don't know that for some reason, that story just, I I, I never forget. Like I I can remember standing next to the dumpster and making this phone call and just being so upset because it's like, all I want to do is be normal. And you know, my husband, I, I always tell him how normal he is and you know, his, his, parents are still married after I don't like 30 some years or something and his mm-hmm. siblings are all normal and they're married and they're still married to the same people that they <laughs> got married to and I'm like why is your family so normal and nice and you have a house and like you're like oh man and I then there's like, me and I'm like what <laughs> I you know what like and I totally get it like you at some point you just want some motherfucking stability and like yes. clearly I don't clearly I don't have any issues cursing like yes. media. but um like but at the same time I think like that your ebbs and flows of life and like ups and downs and like all this multifacetedness number one is just so much more fascinating and gorgeous and number mm-hmm. two that number two is probably why your husband fell in love with you also like so it's so funny I feel like the grass is always greener and I'm not Mm -hmm. saying that like some normalcy wouldn't be nice like of course of course but I do I really do I'm such a proponent of 
God, you're like one of you're one of the good ones. Like when you've been through something, like you're instantly more interesting. You're mm-hmm. instantly usually kinder. I find that you kind of get one or the other. You either get somebody who's been really hurt to the point that they are go, better. yeah, they go the other way. Yeah. Mm-hmm. But- Mm-hmm. Or you get someone who does is the antithesis of that because they're just like, I could never hurt someone or bring someone mm-hmm. down to that low point. So mm-hmm. I yeah. am going to approach the world with kindness. Um, yeah, kindness yeah. and compassion. Yeah. And so it's ironically probably – he's probably – even if sometimes he like – is like, oh my God, what more could there be? Like, yeah. I'm sure he's so drawn to mm-hmm. what a strong person you are, like, and how you manage to surmount all these like hurdles. Like, you just mm-hmm. keep surmounting them. Like, well, and yeah. that's you attractive to propel. And I think that's one of the things that like we really like to emphasize when we talk to people. It's like you can use these times to propel you and like you've mm-hmm. used them to propel you in your writing and your YouTube career yeah. and your, you know, relationships. And I, and I think that's the beauty. And I think that's what other people like relate to. Um, mm-hmm. Yeah. I don't know if you'd be like this creative, like as creative as, you know, like as incentivized to go out there and share your work. And mm-hmm. at, at, if you hadn't been, through these things and mm-hmm. hadn't felt suppressed at some point. And I don't know. I think that clearly like you're these situations that you've been through, like while I would never wish them on anyone, clearly mm-hmm. like they, they underpin and inspire a lot of your writing. Like, yeah. so it fuels that, that, that passion that like that continues to heal you, yeah. you know, and like nourish you. Yeah. So that I, in that way, I think that, trauma can be beautiful like mm-hmm. but uh, then again still like of course no one deserves it but yeah, yeah. and I, I do tr- think it oh, no go sorry go ahead I-, I was just gonna say that I like in some weird ways like days like if I get down or if I think like why can't I just be normal I try to wonder if I was yeah normal and How would boring. I, yeah, would I be this passionate about <laughs> yeah. writing? Would I be this no. passionate about sharing stories? Because what, like, what stories would I share? <laughs> like, it gives, like you, you know. no. it gives you an edge. Like, it mm-hmm. makes you kind of like sparkle instead of just like leading this lackluster life. You have this life like plentiful of like so much rich with experience and rich mm-hmm. with like thus advice that you can dispense to people and love that you can dispense to people. I just. I really do believe that, like, after after you really, like, make your way through it, which, again, life is life and things will come up constantly. But mm-hmm. it's, it sounds like for the most part, like, your life has, like, you know, been stabilized, I hope, more recently. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, yeah, and I was going to say, from there, so did you feel – do you feel like that was your kind of breaking point when you were 23, standing by that dumpster, like, talking to – was he was he your husband there or fiance or boyfriend? Um, I think he was just my yeah. I think he was just my boyfriend at the time. Um, yeah. like, do you feel like that was rock bottom or like, when do you feel like you felt yourself triumph and was like, I'm gonna? You were like, I'm gonna use this. I'm gonna mold. Like, do you do you have a moment that you felt like you were like, I got this? I think I felt like little feelings like that throughout the years, like. Um, mm-hmm. After publishing my first book and getting emails from readers who, uh, oh, you know, I didn't have yeah. a huge, you know, social platform at this time. 
but getting, you know, they would get my contact information and email me to say that they were able to relate to the book or, um, you know, one of the first reviews that came in for Destined to Fail from um, a book blogger said, I want to give this book to every woman I know. And oh, yeah, and that's like that, incredible. that was really, you know, quite a moment for me. And, um, mm. you know, just kind of overcoming a, a lot of different things. I've felt little moments here and there. Um, but it was actually my my husband lost his job in January of 2018. And I, I had been going through a really rough time with my depression, I tend to get really bad, like seasonal depression in the winter here in Iowa. And then with the holidays, I don't get to see my family because they're army and it's really hard for us to see one another. And I typically struggle around that time regardless. And I was just having a really rough December. It had been a really tough year for me financially. Um, I felt like I wasn't really contributing to our household and it was putting a strain on our marriage and just like a lot of bad things were happening. And it was one of those times where I felt like I was starting to pull myself out of it. And then I'll never forget getting the phone call from Mitch of saying, I just got let go and just thinking, oh my God, we're going to lose our house. Like, because I haven't done anything. You know, that was how I felt like, oh my God, I'm not contributing. And now, oh my God, he just lost his job. What, like, what are we going to do? And so I went back into a pretty tough time, but it was really hard during that time because he was so upset. And so, I mean, like distraught and, you know, all these different things that I felt for almost a solid month that I was a stone. Like I, I would not let myself crack. I would not let myself get emotional because I thought I'm just going to lose it Mm -hmm. and we can't both be losing it right now. Mm -hmm. So I tried really, really hard to be my strongest just so we both wouldn't be down. And it was really hard on YouTube because I, up until that time, I'd been fairly private in my mm-hmm. scope. Um, but I really, my husband has never been on my YouTube channel. He was very rarely shows up in my photos. Like I just try to keep some of my life private. So I'd really never even like talked a lot about him. But especially because I did this Will I Buy It series every single week talking about new makeup, you know, now all of a sudden we have almost zero income. Like how in the world, I'm not even thinking about buying makeup. I have no right. cares about, I want you to sell my makeup, like, you know, everything. And so I felt like I had to say on YouTube, like this happened. So these videos are going to be a little bit different because obviously I'm not buying makeup. And I remember just getting a lot of support from people and, um, you know, and all those different things. I was like, wow, okay, like you know, that's really interesting. I, I wouldn't have thought that. And then um, one night on Snapchat, I was talking about it. And I, I touched, you know, a little bit briefly on, you know, I was already going through a tough time with my depression. And until that point, I had never publicly spoken about depression. Right. Because, you know, it's, you know, it does have such the stigma to it and everything. Mm-hmm. But um, so I opened up about it on Snapchat. And then I had a flood of people contacting me. And I was so surprised by that response and I thought okay well like what like what am I supposed to do with this and so I I filmed a video and it was just like a get ready with me and I think I just titled it life update and not only did I talk about Mitch losing his job and how I was already in a depression and what we were going to do but I also talked about uh, basically like letting myself get into a huge debt over Mm -hmm. YouTube but I also wanted to explain to people why I was so passionate about keeping up with YouTube, which then led me to talk about 
the abuse when I was younger, um, the times where, you know, I was stealing food just to be able to eat, um, you know, and that sort of thing. And so I really kind of went through and then I was like, you know, I finally found YouTube and I feel like it's given me this platform. My, my, my goal for so many years is to have this voice, to have a platform, to be able to tell my stories, how I got through it, give advice, make people not feel so alone. And I felt like YouTube was one of the first times that I really felt like I was given this bigger platform and this bigger voice. So even though I was putting our family into debt, into debt, into debt. I was like, no, there's something here. I know it. I can feel it. This is why I want to keep going with it. So even though I knew I was doing a bad thing of spending all this money that we didn't have, and we should have been putting towards my student loans, I was like, no, I have to keep going with this. I know that it's going to work. And that video, that's Mark. Yeah, I was, I was so afraid to post that video because I thought people are going to think like, you are so stupid. Why would you do that? Like you've ruined things for you, like all these different things. And that was the video that had the, the 2000 comments and not one was bad. <sighs> Everyone was supportive, you know, people understood. And I was so, I was just so surprised to hear all of that. But that one was really a big moment for me. And that was just last year that wow. I posted that video, but that lo- has kept me going forward. I love hearing that, like that, despite like these obstacles that have presented themselves, like these really scary obstacles and Mm -hmm. like, you know, and your husband is your rock, Mm -hmm. I would imagine. And it's like, suddenly you guys are like, not like not stable. You're feeling depressed. And like, I love that you kind of came onto YouTube, like more so like with a, like, like this fun, like doing makeup stuff. And then Mm -hmm. it kind of was an avenue to being able to storytell, mm-hmm. which I don't know if that's why you originally started it. Like, it, like I don't know if that's like was the original intention of like the YouTube channel specifically was. And so it's amazing that it became this like conduit through which it it really is kind of like therapy. Like mm-hmm. you really are like talking and just like venting. And then you have these people who by venting and being genuine and authentic, even about bad stuff, mm-hmm. you're inspiring because yeah. well, and I think it's cool because it's just like you use your writing as a form of healing and mm-hmm. you know your makeup as a form of healing. People kind of do the same thing with your channel. And it's cool mm-hmm. that they get that like, you know, that rawness in there. And I think that's like as someone who watches you as a, you know, I'm gonna fangirl for a second. <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's why I was like so drawn because like I wasn't a big like watcher of YouTube for a while Mm -hmm. um but like with my transitions in life I became like a wife a stay-at-home mom and Mm -hmm. I was kind of trying to find my own identity and I started watching I don't even know how I found you but like I found you and um you are like the one that I you and Andrea met I don't know oh yeah. yeah yeah I watch Andrea. you guys a lot yeah and it's so cool because like I feel like you guys are so grounded and you're able to like you specifically are able to like sprinkle in that rawness and it like mm-hmm. I remember I was I don't know what you were talking about but I was like getting ready watching you one day and I just like started crying because like my self-worth was really low mm-hmm. and you were like I said I don't remember what you were talking about but whatever it was it resonated with me mm-hmm. and I'm just like crying my mascara off oh. but I think that's so special because these girls you know that go just to like you know learn how to do a winged eyeliner 
mm-hmm. or whatever, they get like so much more. So much more. Mm-hmm. It's so yeah. true. Yeah. Can you can you touch upon because you've you've talked about it a couple of times? Like, are you comfortable talking about the earlier like sexual trauma or mm-hmm. the? Yeah. No. I'm. Yeah. I'm. I'm pretty comfortable talking about that. Um, because that. I mean, that was really my first. You know. Uh, hardship in life I guess I would say I mean really up until I was 11 everything was pretty normal like um you know sometimes I think about my childhood and it's pre-abuse and post-abuse because yeah pre-abuse it was like everything was great you know my mom was married to a new man and Mm -hmm. they you know had a baby together my little brother and we're only four years apart and we lived in a great neighborhood by the pool by the schools with we had a big yard and I mean so many neighborhood kids like life was great and then the abuse happened and everything I mean like life altering from there because even though life didn't change a ton right afterwards um, my mom and my stepdad still tried to stay together. Um, you know, obviously my stepbrother was removed from the home, um, which he was only with us half time or whatever. Um, but obviously like he couldn't come back to the house and, you know, all those different things. But like my mom and stepdad tried to stay together for me and my little brother. And, um, but over the years, you know, eventually their marriage deteriorated because that was his son from his first marriage. And it just, you know, they just couldn't work it out. But my mom went into such a bad place. I mean, years after the abuse, she was still struggling so much because, you know, she, she felt a lot of guilt because of it. And, you know, she felt like she should have known something was going on. And um, she, she struggled to the point where she really needed to get help. And I was separated from my mom for a while. And Mm -hmm. um, at one point I was, I was just with my stepdad and, um, my little brother and, you know, I'll never forget my stepdad coming into the room and saying that he was going to move my stepbrother back into our house. Oh my and God. And I said, I'm 16 at this point. And I said, what, <laughs> like, what do you mean? Like, he can't live here. And he was like, little, you know, he's having a tough time and he doesn't have anywhere else to go. So he's going to come here. And I said, well, I can't live with him. Like I wouldn't, you know, I'm, I'm, I was abused at 11. I'm now 16. My body's different. Like this is, not yeah, no. be an okay thing and he said well then you're gonna have to leave oh my god and this is I while mean, your mom was away seeking yeah. help for yeah. the fact that she was dealing with depression from it mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. so he... I remember packing a book bag and thought okay I'll figure it out then <laughs> oh my god that's yeah. so did you move out um I I left I, I packed up my book bag and uh, I didn't really know where else to go. And I was, it was such a hard time for a lot of our family. Like even my grandmother had a really hard time with it. Yeah. And especially with my mom being gone, my older sister was, you know, already married into the army. She was gone. I just felt like I didn't have anywhere to go. So I just went to a park and no. that's where I stayed. And eventually I would have a girlfriend every night after cheerleading practice, drive me home. And I would have her drop me off at the house and I would turn around and I would oh walk to the park and she very quickly caught on to me. And one of the more, you know, defining moments of my life is me being in a tunnel slide, reading a book. And all of a sudden my friend's face appears out of it and she just goes, what are you doing? Oh my God. 
and took me home with her and her and her parents until my mom was able to come back. Why didn't you, why didn't you feel comfortable initially opening up to her? Like why, why go to the park first instead of like seeking, was there seeking like asylum, like with her or something? Like, was there a level of shame there? Like, was there, did nobody know about it? Was it like, what was, I think, I think I was just embarrassed for a long right. time because I I was in the sixth grade when I got abused and yeah. um you know on on a walk to school one day I told my friend who I was walking with and she said I think you need to talk to the guidance counselor mm-hmm. and so she took me in before school started and sat me down and um you know I talked to the to the guidance counselor um and the guidance counselor ended up also taking my friends at some point and talking to each of them to try to, you know, help them understand. Because, I mean, this is – I mean, this was in the 90s. I mean, this wasn't right. a normal yeah. thing. We, You know, there was no internet and there was no – this wasn't a a topic yet that right. had come up. Right. And I can remember, you know, talking to some of my friends and just – I can even remember some of the questions that they asked me and just, like, the confusion and just already feeling from that time that I was just different from yeah, people. Yeah, just like an I alien, like, different. not wanting – Yeah. Right. Yep. And I just, you know, you kind of feel like you're sticking out now and, like, people – like, you know, so many people know this about you. And so, you know, throughout the years and, you know, different things that I'd gone through by the time I get to – high school I'm just tired of having to tell people like it kind of relates to the situation with having to tell Mitch about like my father not being my father like Mm -hmm. I'm just tired of having to continually yeah say oh now this happened to me now that happened to me now this happened to me like almost at some point it makes me feel like you know it it almost makes me feel like am I trying to seek attention am I making stuff up am I like like you know why does all of this keep happening and so I was just really embarrassed to go go to anybody wow um, I think and I just so thought natural. I can figure it out myself <laughs> yeah and I think it's so natural to like self-sabotage when you're going through trauma because you don't know what else to do and it's mm-hmm. like you can't you feel like a burden and mm-hmm. I feel like you know especially your stepdad made you feel like a burden yeah like, okay well yeah. you leave and yeah. so that it's tr- devastating but it's like mm-hmm. I I can totally get that perspective and that I think that's like the one good thing about social media now. I mean, I think that social media has a lot of cons, but like one of the things in our mission is to try to like ignite community and like resilience and women and how you can, you know, get out of that tunnel and yeah. hold your friend's hand and, mm-hmm. you know, that there are friends there, you know? And, yeah. yeah. I like, I'm so not a battle of the sexes person, like, but I wonder if your stepdad like had that reaction because he was he was a dude like he like I wonder if like sometimes not to say that guys don't experience sexual abuse as well because of course they do like but Mm -hmm. you know when like in most of the time like we hear more so about girls and I wonder like if he just kind of was downplaying it thinking like this Mm -hmm. isn't that big a deal like whatever he's my son like and that's mm-hmm. a horrible thing to do to anyone, let alone a teenager, and yeah. who now does not get to feel safe in her own home. Mm-hmm. And it's putting a strain on you and your brother's relationship, I'm sure, as well, mm-hmm. and yeah. which is really hard. And I just – I wonder if he 
looks back on that and realizes now or regrets now or if he just is kind of I don't know like uh, unable to empathize like because if you were truly able to empathize if someone were truly able to empathize they would not have allowed him back into the house Mm -hmm. like that I'm not saying that it wasn't a difficult situation that but there there would have been some creative solution that would have had to like you know, be sought mm-hmm. after instead. Yeah. Like, do you, yeah. do you know, like, what his um, current mindset on it is? Or if... I don't know for sure. And we didn't have, a, like, I mean, pretty much since the day that I walked out, we didn't have a relationship for years. Wow. Um, and I also, you know, unfortunately, I lost my relationship with my brother then, too, because... Um, that was his you know, dad. Yeah, that was his dad and that was his brother. I mean, yeah, it was really hard. And um, there's been a few times that I have talked to my brother about it. And because one of the days I'm most scared of is my brother's wedding day. I mean, he's not engaged or anything right now. But I just it's something that always sticks in my mind is how are you going to pull off a wedding with us? I have no idea. You know, I don't know. Um, Because that is his brother. And that's who he grew up with. So he was 12 at the time that I left. Mm-hmm. And then that's when his brother moved in and he's always lived with his brother since then. So he Whoa. I mean, really, I mean, he has a closer relationship with his brother than he does with me, even though we are very close now. My brother walked me down the aisle on my wedding day, oh, but, but we lost our relationship for probably eight years, six years does, or something like that. Does your stepbrother own what happened or does he try to downplay it to your brother, to your stepdad? Like, do you... Do you know, like, I wonder, like, yeah, I don't know for sure. I've never, I've never really been able to find that out. And um, it's really just been over the past just few years that I've started to kind of form a relationship again with my stepdad. And um, I see him maybe like once a year, you know, usually something with my brother too. And um, every time that I'm around him, he, to me, it seems that he is incredibly remorseful yeah right um I can just so, kind of tell by his attitude and what he says I think that he really he yeah regrets what he did I now, think that I, oh sorry go ahead. no I think that for as like callous as I think it was I'm I imagine he is very remorseful because he just at in that moment was in a state of panic like one of my children needs somewhere to stay Mm-hmm. My other child, but like, uh, like I don't know how. Like, I can't put myself in her shoes, and I, I don't know what else to do. So, like, she, I'm just moving this person in, mm-hmm. and I'm guessing it was more like that, where he just kind of cast your feelings aside out of mm-hmm. like the need to be a good father to his son. But then, mm-hmm. you know, with that, he really disrespected you, and I don't think that that was necessarily his intention. I think yeah. his intention was to be a good dad. And mm-hmm. via doing that, it was inevitably going to result in a disrespectful – disrespecting you, whether he meant mm-hmm. for that or not. And yeah. so – but I think that he was clearly just blinded with by, you know, needing to be there. And mm-hmm. so I'm not surprised that he's, like, now that he's had time to think about it and, like – years have gone by and he's seen what an amazing woman you turned into. And I'm, I have no doubt that he's incredibly remorseful. Um, Mm -hmm. but so I saw that you posted like a forgiveness video. Was that today? I think it might've been today. 
um, do you feel like you've been able to forgive him and forgive like your stepbrother? Like, how do you, I like forgiveness is such a weird word for me because I feel like a lot of times when I think back on my own personal trauma, I have to forgive myself first, not for the acts that other people have done, but for how I treated myself in the moment, you know? Yeah. And I think that's a hard question because sometimes I go a little bit back and forth because I've been asked, you know, I've, I've been asked it before. I've posed the question to myself before, like, do I forgive him? And some days I'm like, yes, I forgive. I just don't forget. You know, I, like I say that, um, yeah. but truly when it comes to my stepbrother, I just don't, I just don't know if I can ever forgive. Right. And I don't know if that's the right situation, but he, and I think that's okay. Yeah. Like, I think that's okay. Yeah. yeah, no, I, I think that you have to stop, like, um, not that you do, like, I think that you should never feel as though there's something wrong with the fact that you are human and you're struggling to make sense of something that was a really traumatizing situation. I think, mm-hmm. I think we're all human and, like, some days you might feel closer to forgiveness and some mm-hmm. days you might be like, nope, that's never going to happen and that is just part of being human and – that's okay. Like it was not okay. What happened to you? You went and you lived on a park bench for a little while there or wherever, like in the tunnel side, like that's not okay. And it's, yeah, it's forgiveness is a very hard thing. And I think, I don't think it's something that you can force. I think it's something that has to happen organically. Uh And so either it will happen organically some moments or it won't. And that's yeah. okay. Yeah. But you do – at least it seems as though, like, there's been progress with you and your stepdad and mm-hmm. your brother. And yeah. how about your mom? Like, do you harbor any um, – I don't know, like, any negativity, like, regarding, like, her reaction to it, her kind of going off and le- leaving at that vulnerable time or, like – it was, do you feel like it was something that she needed to do? So of course there's no resentment. Like where, yeah. where are you at with that? Yeah. Um, I, I definitely, I do not have really anything and I'm probably going to get emotional here because I get emotional when I talk about my mom, but oh. um, I have nothing negative to say Good. about her Good. because she, you know, the moment that I came forward to say that this was happening, she was by my side because I do feel like there was a little bit of is this really happening? Like, can you go through the whole story? When was the first time? Yeah. You know, all these different things. And my mom was like, no, immediately he's yeah. out. Like, this is not okay. Like she, you know, she sounds amazing. Supportive. And, you know, it was so hard when she did have to leave. Yeah. And, but the most important thing to me that I always say is that she came back. Yeah. yeah. She came back and she so. needed she needed help because she was so devastated. It sounds like for the pain that you had to go through. And I think that's something that we talked about recently too, Marlena, is that it's like when you are going through trauma and a lot of times, like when you're living it, you don't necessarily see this, but it's like your trauma is, you know, other people, like other people are carrying that too. And like your mom carried that pain and I'm going to (laughs) cry. And (laughs) I think, you know, I don't know. I love, I love you saying that because I think that's so empowering that you can 
be okay with the fact that she was grieving for you too. Mm-hmm. And I think a lot of people, I know like when I went through trauma, I resented a lot of people mm-hmm. um, because I didn't feel like they had perspective, but it's like, no, like they're just carrying it differently. Yeah. And um, I think that's really something that's important for like mm-hmm. people to know that are going through their own trials is that, you know, who they're sharing it with, like, and who love that, like pe- those people that love them, they're going to be affected by it too. Yeah. And sometimes that's a weird feeling, like when you're in the muck of it. Mm-hmm. And yeah. 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 Mm-hmm. And that's why, like, I, I feel like I don't know if I'll ever be able to forgive him because like how, like what I've said in the past is that he ruined lives by you know a selfish decision not only his life (laughs) but my life but also to me my mom and that's yeah I like I saw like to me it feels like the abuse hit my mom 10 times harder than it hit me Mm -hmm. you're a baby of course yeah yeah and you know I think that the path that my mom went on like I feel like she's never recovered still yeah I don't feel like she's recovered no, because I, I think I can't – I'm Jess, I feel like you can speak to it more because you are a parent. Like, but, I mean, if something were to ever happen like that to my child who, you know, I would die for, I mm-hmm. – how – I can't imagine living with that. Like, knowing that my child suffered at the hands of someone right under my own roof and it could have been stopped and I didn't know, it would be – a devastating thing to wrap my head around, but she, I'm a very big believer and she's on her own journey, like in this lifetime. And I feel like that in some way, shape or form, like she will, she will overcome that. It's made you guys stronger. It's made you guys closer. Like, and I, in that, like it's, the journey isn't over yet. There's still a lot more life left to live and time to heal. Yeah. And yeah. I'm sh- like, I mean, Jess, uh, you can speak from like a mom's point of view more so. Well, I've been binging like the handmaid's tale, so I can get fired mm. up right now about, <laughs> but uh, yeah, it's, I, as a mom and then having also like, I was sexually abused when I was younger too. And so mm-hmm. I can relate to like, my mom was the same way. She was like, nope, I don't, I'm not going to question you. And I remember the police were like in my living room and they were like, they didn't say they didn't believe me, but I can feel that they didn't believe. They never believe initially. It's such a shitty feeling. Yeah. My mom was like, get out. Like, Mm -hmm. if you're not going to help her, then like leave. And it's, it's just some, I don't know something about that relationship like between a mom and a child it's you just get defensive and and it's tough and it's trying and I can you know my mom when I was talking earlier I feel like she kind of went through the same thing like she had to go through the grieving process with me and it affected her marriage it affected you know our life we she wanted to sell the house she wanted to like get rid of you know it was she had to grieve it too and I think that I just appreciate you acknowledging that and like respecting her for that and loving her for that Mm -hmm. um because I think a lot of people could get really angry and resentful like this is my situation you know what Mm -hmm. I mean 
And Mm -hmm. I just think that's so beautiful that you can let her grieve and understand where that pain is coming from. And the pain is coming from loving you. Yeah. Just knowing it's actually because you're so loved. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Oh, man. (laughs) (laughs) Heavy. Oh, my God. Jesus. Um, I mean, so how about just to shift it for a second, like how about people like I'm assuming since like you did leave home, like you did have to lean on friends a lot. Mm-hmm. Like, do you, do you find that like you were able to find like a lot of solace and like friends or do you find that like friends like still even after all that you, cause I know initially you were more like hesitant to really explain to them, but do you find like later on that they were really like pillars of strength for you and like, able to carry that with you and support you or did you kind of feel still isolated in it kind of alone and it's still like were people there like ride or die for you or like what was the sense from like other people at school other people like in your life besides family yeah I think I think it's kind of interesting because sometimes I feel like I can look back on high school and think like this is where I have so many like trust issues with friends these days Right, right. Because even back, I mean, even, I mean, this can go back even to sixth grade and talking about the abuse. And, you know, I I don't think I even knew what the word like gossip meant at the point, Mm -hmm. you know, that point in my life, but definitely like, you know, there was gossip about me. And I don't think, you know, because other people didn't really understand what was going on or the severity of it. It was almost just like, not like funny to them but it was you know it was something to talk about and mm-hmm. and all right. of that and I felt that way so often in high school with all of the different you know situations that I was going through I just felt like I was giving people more yeah material to talk about me yeah and it, it always left me just very uncomfortable and it, it almost makes me more guarded in my personal friendships which yeah makes it weird why I'm so open online I I really don't know the psyche of that but I think it's because in a way I, I do want people to talk to but right. sometimes I feel like it's hard for me to get closer to people in real life right because I feel like I'm just there to be you know judged or talked Locked about at. or yeah no you it's, know it's amazing how um I mean this unfortunately at uh, like <laughs> a lot of life is like high school, even after you graduate, mm-hmm. like, but yeah. definitely in high school, I had um, my bullying experience. And I remember being devastated by the fact that something that was completely devastating to me and like, mm-hmm. like was like pa- physically painful for me. It, it hurt so much mm-hmm. and that it was just fodder for like other people to talk about and my friends who then became frenemies, like Mm -hmm. that they were able to like laugh together about it and like, you know, do things and find glee in it or find Mm -hmm. or give it, give other people, like you just said, material to talk about like, Oh, did you hear this? Or like the butt of a joke. And it's like, Mm -hmm. do you guys understand that I I'm literally like, a shell of the person that I used to be. I'm not mm-hmm. even like human right now. I'm so depressed. And like, yeah. this is like, this is not just something for you to talk about on the periphery. Like this mm-hmm. is my life. Yeah. So yep. it's, it really is amazing. And it's like, I don't want to fault anybody. Cause like, look I like, we're all human. I like mm-hmm. when something happens, mm-hmm. I talk to like, I get it. Yep. Like, yep. And yep. um, so I totally get it. And we were, you know, teenagers. 
Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I think it's really important to instill in kids today um, or instill in anybody, like even just our peers and our friends, like ourselves, when we find that we fall off and we start talking, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. it's important to kind of like snap back and be like, hey, like you really don't know like mm-hmm. right, what right. that person is going through, how much that broke their heart. Like you don't mm-hmm. know and it's not yours to talk about. Like, yeah. And again, like I just said, I have to, I have to listen back to this and do that too because I like I won't lie like I love myself some good gossip it's fun like Mm -hmm. it's fun to socialize it's fun to talk with your friends like about the latest stuff but like it's when it comes to more serious situations like that it's Mm -hmm. you you don't want to just be like a you know just a a bully yeah no bully but like a chapter like yeah no you're so much more than that like one line in that person's book like you know yeah. and I'm like trying to find a better analogy and I can't <laughs> it's totally failing but whatever but yeah so I can imagine that that was incredibly embarrassing and even if people weren't saying bad things just knowing mm-hmm. that you are in their mouths and they don't have the full story or they think they yeah. do but they don't fucking know and mm-hmm. it's it's awful I mean did you find that you had quote-unquote frenemies like people who you thought were there through it and then but then who kind of like turn their backs or like would spew stuff behind your back about it or anything like that or not yeah I would definitely notice that and there like there's a few friends in in high school and even like early college who you know I would say this too and then you know I would either like overhear them talking or you know a conversation would get back to me that they would just casually bring up something that I'd been through. Right. Like right. in a casual conversation. Like, oh, that's my friend. You know, like the one, like she was abused and like, you know, all these different things. And it was like, <laughs> why would you just say that to right. somebody? Oh, like, like you know, I tell people to tell a bit. Like, I mean, I, right. it just was so bizarre to me that people like would just so casually it. talk about that. Yeah. They used it as like a punch A line. label. Yeah. Like yeah. it's totally labeled you. And yeah. that's horrible. It is. Yeah. And yeah. it's also like they're speaking so casually about something that was so life shattering to you. Like it was yeah. earth shattering. And mm-hmm. they're just like, oh, yeah, you know, the one who was abused. Abuse is yeah. a huge word. Like, yeah. and again, I feel like it is like so many people mm-hmm. now we do know like are abused in some way, shape, or form. And so we hear it so much that I feel like it loses its, um, you know, it, it loses it's the emo- power. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And so yep. people do make the mistake of sometimes just like letting it roll off their tongue. Like, mm-hmm. and it's not okay. Like that mm-hmm. makes you feel so little in that moment. Yep. And like this thing that completely changed the trajectory of your life is just a little label for you now. Mm-hmm. It's yeah. all so I have a question. Mm-hmm. I mean, I feel like, and I'm just kind of like speaking from my personal experience, but like after going through an assault like to your body I always felt in the need like the need to like be in control of my beauty and Mm -hmm. that was one of the I mean I had really bad skin and so like that was like what first attracted me to like makeup Mm -hmm. and so like that's where my relationship with makeup started but then I you know loved the creativity of it do you think that that played a part in you like putting on makeup and like Mm -hmm. like did it empower you at all Maybe it was, it was actually really interesting to me. And it's, it's interesting for me to um, kind of look back and reflect on those times. But, um, you know, even when I was 
11 years old in Iowa summer when it's super hot, you know, shorts, tank tops, running around in a swimsuit, like none of that, you know, I, I wouldn't think twice about doing that. And then afterwards it was baggy sweaters, even in the winter and, you know, jeans and just sweatpants. And, um, because, you know, for a while it it felt like, well, you know, it was probably me, like, you know, it was my Mm -hmm. fault at some point, you know, it was either like the clothes I was wearing or, um, you know, because I was such a girl, you know, girl's girl and I would like dance in the living room, like, you know, yeah, it was definitely my fault. Like I had a part in it, you know, that's what I would think when I was younger. So, there was several years where I went like the opposite direction and, wow, you know, almost tried to like make myself into a, a tomboy because then I was almost, you know, cause for a while I was just fearful of men and boys. Yeah, mm-hmm. And you want to hide, like your body mm-hmm. has been violated. And so you want to cover it up. Like mm-hmm. it's funny. It's just funny how it manifests so similarly and yet differently within victims of sexual abuse. Like it's similar in that, you guys both had this way of, you know, um, it manifested like via the way you dressed and mm-hmm. sh- showed off your body or didn't show off your body. But it's really interesting that Jess, you found you went one way and mm-hmm. Samantha, you found you went the other. It's mm-hmm. well, and we were talking to a different guest too. And one of the things that I opened up about myself is that like I, when I was in high school, I had something happen to me when I was 14 mm-hmm. and I projected that I was. I'm and I'm not going to use this word. I'm using this word as the way that I felt I mm-hmm. saw myself, but mm-hmm. like kind of slutty. Like I had a yep. lot of boyfriends. I jumped around mm-hmm. to a lot of guys, but I never had sex. But I wanted people to think that I did because I mm-hmm. wanted people to think that I was in control. And yeah. so it's just interesting, like how that manifests in different people and how the control differs. Like for mm-hmm. you, you know, if that makes sense. Yeah. Um, it's just interesting. And so I was curious about that, if that had anything to do with like your relationship with makeup and, you know, your relationship to how you felt beautiful and like what Mm -hmm. beauty meant to you. Yeah. 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 It is really interesting to to hear that because I really like I, I kind of took off in the opposite direction. And I think as I got older, um, especially now, um, and the way, I mean, for the past, like how many years, like I definitely have a very certain like sense of style and I'm not afraid to wear like sheer body suits and crop tops and all that. And mm-hmm. sometimes still like to this day, like I'll notice I get flack from friends or they'll be like, well, I, you know, I wouldn't wear that or that's not, you know, duh, oh duh. My and, God. you know, I'm to the point now where I'm like, I don't Meh. care because yeah. <laughs> this is my body. Like I kind of gave up my body for a while thinking, yeah. you know, being shamed or, or whatnot, and, you know, letting other people kind of guide my actions and how I should be, but this is who I am now. Like, I'm very proud of my body. Mm-hmm. I work out, I try to eat somewhat balanced, mm-hmm. which includes ice cream every day, but, <laughs> you know, I, like, I'm going to, I'm going to be in control of myself because there's been so many years where I felt I let other people control it, control them. me. Amen. So, yeah, and, you know, even sometimes That's on the internet, terrible. I mean, Yeah, like that. Yeah, yeah. A lot of times, you like take ownership back, and I think that's so important for people to see that too. Yeah, Um, and so like when people make comments about like, oh, Sam's showing up to a concert in another sheer bodysuit, I'm like, heck yeah, I am. Here I am. Yeah, (laughs) and I'm gonna take photos and put it on Instagram, (laughs) and I'm gonna document it so everyone. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. I'm like, yeah, I don't care. Oh my god. (laughs) 
I'm that's so well this is like this is so great like thank you so much for sharing I wanted to ask you like just some fun questions and, yeah oh um, yay fun like so like top three beauty products you can't live without <gasps> such a hard one um I like had to I was like I wrote it down to ask you and then I was like oh shit I don't know if I can answer this I know right I would say definitely a concealer like my favorite right now is Too Faced Born This Way because it just is amazing I need concealer I don't sleep much we have to have oh my god yeah really (laughs) (laughs) I gotta I gotta have my concealer and then it's so weird but I always need eyeliner I feel like if I don't wear eyeliner I look like I'm either asleep dead or 12 that's so funny I I don't know what it is I like don't wear eyeliner at all now and I don't know if it well I suck at it I think that's why but, oh, funny. <laughs> yeah. but like, well I, I can't like, do winged liner to like really save my life yeah, like damn. water or liner in my waterline I have I have to have it oh that's so funny it is so weird because I just did like the if I could only keep five makeup products that yeah. Emily Noel started and I, I I did two lists because I couldn't just break it down to one but in my first <laughs> one I was like trying to explain my love of eyeliner I was like I don't know what's wrong with me <laughs> no I, just, I-, I have to have it <laughs> I totally get it. I used to be that only now, like in recent years. And I'm, am I like, you know, I just look good with mascara right now. It's fine. Yeah. But like otherwise, when I was younger, like up until like my late 20s, I was like eyeliner every day. Yeah. Never, never going out without it. Like it's something so funny. I don't know what it is. Like it just yeah. makes you look like instantly like, huh, put together yes. like, somehow. Yes. So yes. I get yeah, it. So definitely the <laughs> eyeliner. And then I feel like I'd have to do like probably like a lip balm. Ooh. I love a lot of lip products, but like a lip balm because I'm constantly putting, I have dry lips. So yeah. constantly doing like some sort of lip balm. Like I love the Glossier balm.com, the Laneige lip glow balm. I just yeah. ours has a good a one. Ago, and it's like my husband steals it from me all the time. Oh, funny. Like yeah. he loves it. It's so funny. Yeah. I have to use the Laneige sleeping mask every single yeah. night. Oh, just... I've resisted getting that for so long. Should I get it's it? So did I. God. So did I. I was like, this is stupid. I'm not getting those $20. I'm not yeah. getting that. And I finally bought so it. And good. I was like, everyone needs to go buy uh, this right now. Okay. I'll give into it. I'll give into it. <laughs> yeah. Finally. Okay. Cool. Like, <laughs> yeah. Yep. So I, I think so I definitely funny. have to have a lip balm too. And okay, so those are your makeups. What about like your top three reads of 2019? Oh, that's a good one. Oh, 2019. Um, I just read the latest one from Jennifer Weiner. It's mm-hmm. called Mrs. Everything. Um, oh, that was a really good book because it has a lot of like women's rights situations in there. Mm-hmm. Um, could we actually follow two sisters from the time that they were kids in the 50s in Detroit? And then all the way up until they're like 70. And so, wow. like, I, and I thought it was really interesting because my mom was also born in the 50s. So it's interesting to try to f- relate or even just learn about the yeah. different th- things and different, you know, that she g- went through in her life, um, yeah. just the different changes and all of that. So it's a really long book, uh-huh. but I thought it was uh, yeah, a pretty that, interesting one. That's- cool I haven't read a book I think that's like covered that many decades yeah yeah it was very ambitious yeah (laughs) yeah um another one I read was Park Avenue Summer by Renee Rosin which is a little bit more historical fiction it's set in the 60s um but it's actually kind of all about Cosmopolitan magazine and the Helen Gurley Brown yeah Mm -hmm. um 
and it's told from like kind of like her assistant's point of view who is fictional but Helen Gurley Brown is a real person and it was just really interesting to read that book because one of my ambitions when I was younger was I actually wanted to write for a magazine because again that's what was around when I was growing up was magazines so I thought I wanted to you know, my dream was to like be an intern at Cosmo yes. <laughs> or 17 or, you know, something oh like that. God. But yes. um, like yeah, so it was Conrad. so interesting. Yes, yes, yes exactly. You know, <laughs> super interesting um, reading the book and also just kind of reading about the 60s in New York and for a woman who wanted to work versus staying at home, which right. was, you know, just such the norm then that's what was expected. Yeah. Um, so that one was uh, that was such an interesting book to read, too. And then I'm trying to think one book that I thought was really interesting was called the queen of hearts Mm. and it's by Kimmery Martin. And it was fascinating to me to read this because the author is actually a doctor as well, like a surgeon because Mm. um, the characters are all surgeons, um, a trauma surgeon. And I think the other one is in uh, the pediatric care my god it's but, Grey's Anatomy in a book I know yes. <laughs> no, it, seriously it really was too and as this book goes along I had the reason I think I thought I related to it so much and I just thought it was so interesting um is because it really focuses on two females and their friendships and I write you know friendship fiction yeah, yeah and so it's so interesting to read the dynamic between two friends and there's a lot of like shocking moments in the book even the ending was shocking like I closed the book and was like Mind fuck. <laughs> did not see that coming. Like I was like, wait, what? Everyone um, so, dies. Yeah, it was just so like you think the book is over and then you turn to the next page and then another scene happens and then it's Ooh. done and then you're like, wait, what? <laughs> <laughs> but those are like the best. I don't know. I like, I love those kind of books. Yeah. 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 I recently read, um, I've been like super into mythology and I recently read Cersei. Have you read that one by Madeline Uh -uh. Miller? Mm -mm. Oh, it's good. It's like a rewriting of, um, it's so Homer wrote the Odyssey and then Cersei is a character in the Odyssey. And, um, but he doesn't really talk much about her. So Madeline Miller kind of like gives this character a life. Right, and like re and kind of rewrites her backstory, and um, it's really cool. And she turns men into pigs, which I think. Oh, really cool. so like, like we all our ears perked up at that. One. Oh yeah, she's cool. <laughs> she's, a witch. she's a witch, so it's it's like it's, you should put that on your yeah. It's good. Ooh, oh, I still like that one up. Um, 